0: crown of 12 stars and she being great with child being with child cried travailing in birth and pained to be delivered and there appeared another wonder in heaven and behold a great red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns upon his heads and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth and the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days." And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. And prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out to that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying, In heaven now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth, and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God, and have the testimony of Jesus Christ." read God's word to that point this evening. Our text is verses 7 through 12. Let's read that section again. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying, In heaven now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Beloved of God, this chapter that we read, Revelation 12, gives us an overview of the entire history of the world, from the beginning of the world to the first coming of Jesus Christ and then even past that through the whole New Testament age to the second coming of Jesus Christ. It gives us that overview of the whole history of the world from a particular point of view. From the point of view of the great battle of the ages between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. Between God and his purposes and the devil and His purposes. The first six verses of Revelation 12 give us the scene of the part of that battle that is upon the earth. The vision there opens with a woman who has 12 stars upon her head. That's the Old Testament church. The 12 stars are the 12 tribes of Israel. This woman, the Old Testament church, is pregnant with a man-child, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who, of course, is born out of the Old Testament church and born to the Old Testament church, comes out of the womb of the church of the old despensation in the fullness of time. This pregnant woman, the Old Testament church, is not alone, however. We also read of this great red dragon. He's identified in verse 9 as the devil and Satan who desires to eat up this man-child, the Christ, as soon as he is born. A reference to the fact, first of all, that throughout the entire Old Testament, the devil is trying to cut off the line of Jesus Christ so that he does not come, so that he's consumed, as it were, And then more especially, it's a reference to the fact that when he did come, when he failed to prevent his coming, and the man-child was born, the devil did everything in his power to try to consume him before he was able to become the foundation of the church. And so, children, you remember what Herod did after Jesus was born? He commanded that all the baby boys two years old and younger in Bethlehem be killed And behind that was the devil. And this verse tells us that. And this verse tells us that that devil was trying to consume him as soon as he came into the world. And then there were other attempts too, weren't there? All the attempts of the Jews to kill him, to stone him. The Jews in Nazareth to throw him off of a cliff. And who can doubt that in the devil's mind at least, even the crucifixion was this attempt. The devil did not know that that would be the way that Jesus would establish his kingdom. And from the devil's point of view, this was still an attempt to devour that man-child before he accomplished his work of building the kingdom of God. And yet right there, God shows his absolute sovereignty over all things, even this devil himself. So that at that point, when the devil thought that he had him, he would consume him and devour him. It was, in fact, the accomplishing of the foundation of the kingdom. It was the great plan for the saving of God's people. Having paid for the sins of God's own, Jesus rises from the dead. And 40 days later, in the words of verse 5 of Revelation 12, he's caught up to God in heaven. A reference to, to the ascension. He's not devoured. He's rescued. He's safe. Brought to heaven. Revelation 12, as it continues, follows the man-child. Ascending up into heaven. And now, when it began with the great battle of the ages on the earth, it takes us up into heaven, follow the Lord there. And when it does, we get a great shock. Because we learn that when Jesus ascended into heaven, he ascended into the middle of a war that was going on in heaven. And that this dragon, who is upon the earth, fighting this great battle of the ages, is also there in heaven, fighting this great battle of the ages. There, we knew that this spiritual war was going on in this world, on the earth, but we had no idea that it was going on somehow in heaven, and had been going on for some time, and that the Christ, when he ascended into heaven, entered into this war. But our shock and surprise turns to joy and hope as it is this same Jesus, particularly now in his ascension into heaven, who ends that war in heaven, granting one more piece of his redemptive victory for the people of God. Let's take that up tonight under the theme war in heaven. War in heaven. Notice first the war, second the victory, And third, the results. War in heaven. The war, the victory, and the results. There is a war that is going on in heaven, the text says. And it says that this war is due to an attack from the devil and his angels. Verse 7. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought, and his angels, the dragon and his angels... Verse 4 has already informed us about this dragon and these angels of his. There we're told that this great red dragon swiped one-third of the stars of heaven. That's a reference to the angels of heaven with his tail and cast them down to earth. It's a reference to the fall of Lucifer who was himself an archangel and had angels under his direction. Before even the fall of Adam, the devil revolted against God, tried to overthrow the plan of God in Jesus Christ and to become God himself. And apparently, when he started that revolution, one-third of the angels of heaven joined him in that revolt. Isaiah 14 verse 13 speaks of this more as well. As punishment for this, God removed Lucifer out of his position and cast him down to the earth along with those angels who sided with him who then become the demons of this Lucifer so that the dragon or the devil and his angels are the antagonist in this war. When he fell and was cast out of heaven, the devil did not stop his revolution against God and his purpose. But he carried it on. And throughout the whole history of the world, he attempts to overthrow God and his purposes and his kingdom and to set up his own purposes and his own kingdom. And we learn here that though we experience all of that here upon the earth, Satan was also able, through the Old Testament period at least, to take that war, in some sense, back into heaven. Now be careful when you think about that. Because just like that war on earth here, it's not so much a physical war as it is a spiritual war. So there. When you think of this war in heaven, don't picture then necessarily in such physical terms, Michael and his angels on one side and the devil and his fallen angels on the other side and they all have their swords and spears and shields and they're about to go at it with each other with hand-to-hand combat. There might be some physical aspect to it. We'll talk about that in a moment. But primarily, this war going on in heaven is a war of wrangling over legal rights. That's revealed to us in the song that all heaven sings after the devil and his demons are cast out of heaven once and for all. Verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. This was the attack of Satan in this war going on in heaven. He was accusing the people of God before God day and night throughout the Old Testament period. He comes to make a legal case about something. It's a war of words. That's why too our text supplies the names of that dragon in verse 9. The devil. And Satan, devil means accuser. That's what he does. That's who he is. And that's part of how he wars. And Satan is manipulator, twister. And that's what he does too. It's what he does even as he accuses. He manipulates the truth, leaves certain parts of the truth out to use certain pieces for his own ends by twists of logic in his accusation. And in line with that who he is, That's what he's doing up here as he wages war in heaven. He's bringing accusations. He had access to heaven. Think of the book of Job. and The devil up in heaven speaking to God about Job. Throughout the Old Testament period, he was able to go back into heaven and bring these accusations. Before whom does he bring accusations? He accused them before our God day and night. The devil is, as it were, the prosecutor. God is the judge and he's bringing the accusations before the tribunal of God himself who are his accusations against our brethren. He accused, which accused them, our brethren before our God day and night. Our brethren, the brethren who are there in glory, who have died and their souls are gone to heaven. The object of the devil in this war is not merely to attack Michael and his angels who are standing there in defense of the people of God as though his purpose was to try to get Michael to join his side or the rest of the angels there. That's not his point. His point in coming here and engaging in this war is the people of God who are there. That's what he wants. That's what he's after. And he makes his accusations against them. Specifically, our brethren who have died and gone to heaven from the Old Testament period before the ascension of Jesus Christ. We know that because this war ends after Christ ascends into heaven. So whatever the accusation is that he brings, it only applies to the saints of the Old Testament. And whatever the accusation is that he brings, it must have some legal standing before God before the ascension. If it had absolutely no ground, God would have kicked the devil out and not allow him to make this accusation. But he is allowed And he does. So what is it? What exactly is this accusation that the devil makes throughout the whole Old Testament period described as an attack, as part of a war upon God's people in heaven? The only possible conclusion that we can come to, beloved, Is that the devil was in heaven making the accusation against the souls of the people of God who were there that they had no legal right to be there in glory? The accusation he is making against the saints who have died from Abel down to Noah, down to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the rest of the remnant in Israel was that they had no basis to be there. They should have been with him in the pit of hell. Christ had not come and he had not done whatever he was supposed to do in God's plan to establish this kingdom and to redeem this people. And in the devil's mind, he thinks, I'm going to swallow this Christ up anyway the moment that he enters into this world and I'm going to prevent him from doing whatever it is that God wants him to do. And because he has not come yet and he has not done it, Their sins ought to be held against them. They have not been legally paid for. They are not saints. They are sinners. They are unrighteous. They're unrighteous before the bar of your own justice, God. He appeals to God's own justice. You are a just judge. If you're a just judge, well, then why are these people here? They have no right to be here. You Call yourself just. And he accused the Brethren. Look at Abraham over there, God. All you people here. How many times did he lie about his wife? Not one of those is paid for. You ought to be with me. And on and on and on down the line. On the basis of all the evidence he brings out in his accusations, he makes his legal case. They ought to be punished. So that you see, beloved, the two scenes in Revelation 12. This war on the earth. of This dragon against the woman, the church. And this war in heaven. They fit together in the devil's mind and purposes. The devil's making a two-pronged attack against God and his purposes in this great battle of the ages between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light throughout the Old Testament period. On the earth, he's trying to prevent the coming of the Messiah or to destroy him if he does come before he accomplishes anything he's supposed to accomplish. At the same time, as long as he Has not come, and as long as he thinks he's prevented him from coming, he's also going back and forth up into heaven saying, He hasn't come yet, and I've stopped him, and I'm going to stop him, or I'm going to consume him, and these have no right to be here. Why are they here? They should be with me. This is astounding. This is astounding for those saints in glory who have to hear this. This understanding of this war in heaven fits perfectly with what we read about another war over Moses' body in Jude chapter 1, verse 9. In Jude 1, verse 9, we're told that Michael, the same angel that's referenced here, is fighting, disputing with the devil over the body of Moses. And that dispute there is likely the exact same as what we're thinking of here. That Michael was taking the body of Moses up into heaven, which, by the way, is how Moses could appear on the Mount of Transfiguration later, along with Elijah, who went bodily into heaven. As he's taking the body of Moses up into heaven, the devil comes along and disputes with him about it. It says, what are you doing? You don't have the right to this body. This man was just told by God that he must die because he struck the rock in anger. That hasn't been paid for, as well as any other of the sins that he's committed. You don't have the right to it. And so the same thing is happening in our text. Accusation. Accusation is the attack in heaven. The main mode of attack for the devil in this great battle of the ages, beloved, is temptation. When all else fails, or when he has things where he wants them, he uses persecution. But along with that, he has another great weapon, doesn't he? And that is accusation. And don't take that for granted or think it a minor thing. And not only does he use it in his war up in heaven throughout the Old Testament age, but he uses it in his war on the earth too, doesn't he? Have you ever faced this attack of the evil one? His use of this weapon? I don't speak now to the comfort of any who is outside of Jesus Christ who lives and walks headlong in sin without repentance, thinking that it's safe nonetheless and that there will be no consequences and no danger. You are in grave danger. Turn ye. Turn ye. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and bow the knee To the one who is Savior and Lord, and there find hope and comfort. But for the saints of Jehovah God who have faced this attack upon the church, may you be comforted. Because this attack is vicious. And this attack is horrible. Bringing sins to mind, bringing accusation, especially sins, of years gone by, is saying to God's saints the same things that He said to these saints in glory. "You think you have a right to heaven?" Do you think it's possible with all the things that you have done that you could possibly think that you belong in glory with God? Don't you understand at the moment of your death when that second comes, I will be there and I will drag you to the pit of hell. You have no right to glory in your sins. Who do you think you are? They're too great. They're too much. Nobody's done this. And it's vicious. And it's horrific. But astoundingly, he, he brings this to heaven through the Old Testament. And the saints there in glory have to hear this as he he brings accusations throughout the Old Testament again and again. And it's not beyond the realm of possibility, beloved, that as he makes these accusations, that he and his demons make some kind of physical move forward to try to take the souls of God's people there back with him down into hell. I have the rights to them, he says, as as he sends his host forward to move on Isaac and Jacob and the rest. And there it is Michael. And his angels, his host, who stand for the defense of the children of God throughout the Old Testament period. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. Michael and his angels. Michael is another archangel. Jude 1 verse 9 tells us that. And as an archangel, he's kind of a general among the angels and has a host of angels under his own charge. And apparently, it was God's will to charge Michael and his host specifically with the task of guarding and protecting the people of God. I say that because everywhere we read about Michael in the Bible, that's what he's doing. That's what he's doing in Jude 1 verse 9. When he's contending over the body of Moses, protecting that body. That's what he's doing in Daniel 10. You can read that on your own sometime where Michael comes to help one of his own angels under his charge who is battling with a demon over the influence of the prince of Persia for the sake of protecting the people of God. And then in Daniel 12 verse 1, it says it explicitly. Where Michael is called the great prince which standeth for the children of God's people. In line with that particular charge, then, that's granted to Michael and his host. They are the ones who are standing in the defense of God's people in heaven here throughout the Old Testament as this attack from the devil and his angels come upon them. And while there may have been some kind of forceful prevention on the part of Michael, and his demons, as the devil, if he did, and his host move forward upon the souls of Jehovah God there. In the main, their defense was legal, as the attack was legal. And you can imagine Michael responding to the devil, his former co general, that he's not taking one soul. Of any of God's people with him. Because he's not considering the eternal counsel of Jehovah God that is as changeless and as irrefutable and irrepressible and sovereign as God himself. And at the heart of whose counsel is this Jesus Christ and all of the saints. Chosen in him, the Christ who was appointed as representative head of the people of God and who will come to the earth and will accomplish the redemption for God has decreed it. His counsel will stand. It's so sure, devil, that these saints may be here now, even though he has not come in time, they may be here. Because nothing can stop his counsel from coming to pass. The devil, of course, cares nothing for that truth and thinks the whole argument rubbish and delusional as he is, he still thinks that he can prevent the counsel of God from coming to pass. And he argues, look, he has not come yet. And I'm probably the one who has prevented it. And it, in any event, it hasn't actually happened. So they don't have the right. And you can hear Michael responding with the promise of God. Lucifer, Satan, the devil. The promise of God has been spoken and revealed, and you heard it yourself, that the Messiah will come and he will crush your head and will establish the kingdom of God, and you cannot prevent it. The promise of God shall stand. Nothing can cause his promise to fall to the ground. And the devil says, we'll see about that. And he has not come yet, and I'm going to swallow him up. And besides, they don't have any right. And so the battle goes on. And never does God give up the souls of his people. And if the devil tries to forcibly move upon them, Michael and his angels prevent them. And yet. To a certain extent. Not to a full extent. But to a certain extent. The devil has a point. Because as true as it is. God's counsel shall stand. And his promise shall stand and will be accomplished. And it's absolutely sure the Christ must come in time and must pay for the sins of God's people. And therefore, throughout the Old Testament, they cannot completely shut the devil's mouth until In the fullness of time, when the seed of the woman is born into the world and is not consumed, in accord with the counsel and the promise of God, he mounts his cross at the moment, the evil one thought that he had him in his grip. He accomplishes the redemption of the people of God, bearing upon himself the eternal weight of the sins of all of his elect. Rising again the third day, having made that payment, the very oracle of God upon that event, declaring, yes, it has been paid for, it is indeed finished. And then, in the final piece, in that final decisive moment, when full victory comes into heaven itself, as the Lord is caught up in His ascension to His place at the right hand of God in triumph. You remember the day of the o- of atonement in the Old Testament. That day, once a year, when the high priest would make atonement for the sins of Israel. There are two goats. Remember this, that the one goat would be sent out into the wilderness as a picture of the fact that our sins are removed from us as far as the east is from the west. And then that Other goat was the picture of how that is the case. How our sins are removed from us as far as the east is from the west. The high priest would put his hands upon the head of that goat and he would confess the sins of Israel imputing them to the head of that goat. And then that goat would be taken and it would be strung up and its neck would be slit and all the blood drained out of that goat. It's a picture of the atoning sacrifice of the cross. And yet even that wasn't the end. And the high priest could not go out of the tabernacle and declare the ironic benediction upon the people of God waiting outside of the tabernacle yet. But first, he had to take that blood and he had to enter into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat. And only then was the work of redemption brought to its final and climactic point. That's what's going on here in our text. It is finished. Beloved, when he cries that upon his cross, an atonement for sin, he has accomplished the ground, the basis of atonement for God's people. And yet, it's not until that's brought to its completion in heaven, when the great high priest takes his own body, his own sacrifice, into the true Holy of Holies and presents it before the tribunal of God, that that whole redemptive act is brought to its final point and conclusion. And it's only then that the devil's mouth is shut and that he now has no leg to stand on and no argument to be made. This explains the shouts of triumph in heaven in verse 10. After Christ ascends, into heaven. Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Can you imagine this? Think of this in heaven. What this must have been like when the Son of God comes up into glory on that cloud that took him up into heaven. And that cloud docks, as it were, into glory. And the Christ gets off of that cloud amidst all the throngs of the host of the angels and the saints who are there glorified. And they all lead him to the throne of God where he's brought to his place at the right hand of God, seated down the conquering king. And when he sits there, the cacophony of voices that rises up in exclamation. With a shout of triumph. Because they understand what this means. Now has come salvation. Now has come salvation to a certain extent. To heaven itself. The blood is here. Now has come strength. And now has come power. A power that can shut the devil's mouth once and for all. Now has come the kingdom. Satan's kingdom in principle is defeated. The Christ is sovereign Lord over all. What a day. That day was for heaven. And with him seated upon his throne. And all the saints, they understanding the implications of all of this. What this means. Verse 11 tells us that it's they who overcome the devil now. As it were, Michael and his angels take a step back and the saints themselves rush forward and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. They, the saints, and by the word of their testimony and they loved not their lives unto the death. Look, devil, they shout as they drive him out. The blood is here. The Christ is here. The lamb is here slain. You thought you had him? But when you thought you had him, he had you. Our sins are paid in full. This is the blood that we believed in that was coming to atone for our sins. Our testimony upon the earth was that we were trusting in the coming Messiah. He will pay for our sins, we said. And this is why we loved not our lives unto the death. We died in faith, knowing that he was coming. And because he's there, they drive him out. So that verse 8 says their place was not found in heaven anymore. I would imagine that you, like me, are very thankful to be born in the New Testament age. Be a child of God after the coming of Jesus Christ, when the scriptures are complete, and we have the full view of all of the work of God's redemptive purpose. But if there's one time that I could wish that I was alive and died in the Old Testament and have gone to heaven in my soul, it's when I read this passage. Wouldn't it be marvelous to be a part of this throng that moves upon that old serpent and casts him out of heaven once and for all, shut the door behind him, to be there with the saints and see the Son of God come up and the devil go down. It's no wonder. The command of verse 12 is, Rejoice, ye heavens, and all who dwell there. Rejoice, rejoice, and rejoice they did, and I'm sure they still are rejoicing because this was advance for the experience of heaven itself. Don't forget, beloved, that heaven has a history and that there is a progress to heaven itself. Now is come salvation in a certain sense here. No more accusing devil can have a place here anymore. This was advanced for the very experience of heaven, the life of heaven for those souls there. They don't have to hear this anymore. And for our loved ones who are there, who have died in Jesus Christ, do not have to hear the accusations of that evil one, do not have to see him have a right to be there. But to have the peace of the fullness of the joy of God there. That's the result of all of this. For heaven, a greater experience of heaven itself for the saints there. But the first result of this event for us who are upon the earth is a little bit more sobering, isn't it? Verse 12. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil is come down unto you having great wrath because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. After the ascension of the Lord Jesus into heaven and the removal of the devil from heaven. The devil now wages all of his war here upon the earth. He now only has one front in which he can fight instead of two in this great battle of the ages. What else does he have? This is all that he has left. Having failed to prevent the coming of Jesus Christ and having failed to consume him when he did come and Christ having accomplished his redemptive work and barred now from heaven itself, he focuses all of his attention here. And throughout the whole New Testament period, his attack here is vicious. And more vicious than it was in the Old Testament. And will increase in viciousness as he sees the counsel of God being unfolded and as he becomes more desperate as it gets closer and closer to the end and as God looses him to make one great final desperate flailing attack in the end. And the narrating voice in chapter 12 says, Beware. Beware, you church militant on the earth. All his attention is on you. You realize that? Conscious of that? This is no game we're playing, this is real. Are you in the battle? Consciously? Or on autopilot? Why do you come to church? Just the cultural thing to do? It's just what we've always done? Or do you come desperate out of the battle? Fighting, fighting. And in need of influxes of grace. Grant to me, oh God, what I need in this battle of the ages it's fierce and i see him moving and working in the age in which i live do you realize that what we're seeing going on around us is demonic verse 15 says that he casts water To flood out the church. To try to get her in this New Testament period. That's the attack of the the worldly age. Of the worldly culture. That's like a flood. Trying to flood out and overwhelm the church. So that she loses who she is in the midst of this world. That's what he wants. To destroy her. And to establish his own kingdom. And to erase anything that God would accomplish. Do you trace it back to that? We all talk about it, don't we? All the things that are going on and how astounding it is, do you trace the line back? This is demonic. Beware, church on earth. This is real. And you come and you need the means of grace. And you come and you need the fellowship of the saints. And you come and you need Him in union with him in the life that he grants to his people and yet beloved at the same time just as his first coming the lord jesus christ was not in doubt so his second the same council, irrepressible, irrefutable that brought the Christ the first time, will bring the Christ the second time and the same. Promise that preserved the church through the Old Testament, will preserve the church through the New Testament. He will keep his people there, from his position, ascended to the right hand of God. He rules over absolutely everything, even the devil and even the culture in which we live. And there. He is working all things unto his own return when he brings this age to its end and makes all things new. And in the meantime, we face the attack of the devil with temptation and the attack of the devil with persecution. Don't forget. Though he will bring the attack of accusation, it's as empty here as it is up there. He'll keep trying it. He'll keep bringing it. What you say to him, You're right, devil. All of those sins you're bringing up are mine. And if I was only in myself, you would have the rights to me. And at the moment of the close of my eyes in death, you would take me and have the right to take me to hell. But I'm not in myself, and I'm not by myself. I'm in Jesus Christ. And his blood has accomplished redemption. And his resurrection is the declaration of God that sin has been paid for. these sins too, and his place in glory was the bringing of the blood into the holy of holies. You can't have me, and you won't have me. And as sure as the Christ came the first time, devil, and cast you out of heaven, he's going to come the second time and cast you out of the entire cosmos into the lake of fire. And the saints of God will be at peace with each other and their Savior, world without end. Amen. Father, bless thy word to our hearing. And give us peace in Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.